Good morning. What's up, sinners? All those little sinners just ran off to the back, and all of us big sinners in here singing. Uh, what a great day. Uh, before I get started, the band, the sound crew, they get here. I know Garner was here at 642 this morning. Uh, they get here super early. Every Sunday, they practiced. It's volunteer. They're not paid. Hey, let's give them a round of applause. Great job. Great job this morning. So for those of you who may not know me, my name is Heath. Uh, I'm one of your deacons. Uh, probably seen you uh, as a blue shirt um, uh, coming in the doors uh, when I'm not up here. Uh, that's normally where I am. And, uh, but I always appreciate the opportunity to stand in. I want to thank uh, the elders for giving me the opportunity. I want to thank my family, um, my wife, um, Toby, for putting up with me having to take extra time throughout the week. Um, I really do appreciate um, everyone that allows me to share with you uh, this morning. Um, we're going to continue in, in Genesis. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 42. Um, no slides this morning, so uh, turn in your Bible, uh, get your device ready. Um, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 42. Uh, before we get there, I do want to take a quick look back and remind us of a couple of points uh, before we read today's scripture. If you were here at the end of March, it's the same two points that I reminded you of then. Um, and as I was preparing, I questioned whether or not I did the same exact thing, but um, I came to this conclusion that, A, some of you may not have been here on March 28th. Others of you may have been distracted looking at your phone or doing something else while you were here. Some of you may have been asleep. And the bottom line is this. We need to be reminded of the gospel on a regular basis. Our minds are in constant need of the gospel truth. It's not just that we learn new things. We have to be reminded of the old things. It's why we come to gathering every week. It's why we read our Bibles every day. It's why we should gather on a regular basis because we have to be reminded. We have to stay in tune with the gospel. So point number one, if you remember last time, I said God is sovereign. So what does sovereign mean? If you look it up in the dictionary, you get this definition. You get the highest in power or authority, having supreme rank, power, and authority, utmost, extreme, indisputable, unable to be challenged or denied. God's sovereignty can best be described in this way. His sovereign control, his control means that everything happens according to his plan. Everything happens according to his intention, and nothing can prevent him from accomplishing his purpose. God has sovereign authority. When the, when, what the Lord commands, his creatures must do. What he says, we will do. And God has sovereign presence. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere, right? We've studied that. We learned that. So if you're sitting there today, I want you to think about it this way. So whatever you are going through... God sees you, he hears you, he loves you, and he has a plan for you. The next thing I want to talk about is something, actually Pastor Scott put this on the board in January, and it stuck with me because it's it, it just so real. It says, God's work goes on amidst human failure. God uses sinful 
messed up people like us, like me, to accomplish his work. And why is that? Because it's all he's got to work with. It's all he's got. So just like he used Jacob and and his kind of messed up, well, not kind of, very messed up family, he uses people like us to accomplish his purpose. All right, so we're going to read Genesis chapter 42. If you follow along with me, start in verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Verse 5. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams he had dreamed of them, and he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, No, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined. That your words may be tested whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. Verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress in his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. 
Then they loaded their donkeys with grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of the sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, the man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies in the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We have never been spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. When the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me, and take grain for the famine of your households, and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land." As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they, when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All of this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you, for he is, his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, and study your word uh, as we study, Lord, the life of Joseph and and the portrait of Jesus that it, that it prints. Uh, Father, I ask that you would just open our hearts, open our minds. Um, Father, speak through me. Lord, guide me, help my words to be your words this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm still waiting on my uh, cup holder here, whoever's a welder. Uh, okay, so I preached, what, six, seven weeks ago. And the chapter I preached actually was a chapter of the dreams, chapter 37. So we're five chapters later, but that's actually 22 years later in biblical terms, okay? So over 22 years have passed since Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. Do you remember that? Remember the dreams that he had and then he was betrayed by his brothers? So 22 years since they threw Joseph in the pit and proceeded to eat their lunch while he proceeded, pleaded for mercy. 22 years since they sold him as a slave, since they told their father the elaborate lie. In that same 22 years, Joseph had become a slave, was sent to Egypt, was put in Potiphar's house, promoted as the head of Potiphar's house, but then he was lied about by Potiphar's wife and thrown into an Egyptian prison. He went from being thrown into that Egyptian prison to now he's sitting at the right hand of the most powerful man on earth, Pharaoh. He is the one person in the world that you had to go through to live. Through him, you were getting the grain. 
At the end of uh, chapter 41, it says this, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. So make no mistake about it. Joseph, at that time, he was the key to life on earth. As Pastor Scott said last week, Joseph had gone from the pit to the pinnacle. Now, in those same 22 years, 10 of Joseph's brothers had been living a lie. 22 years of carrying the guilt and the shame that came with the betrayal of their brother Joseph. 22 years of the subtle reminders of what they had done to their brother. If you remember back in chapter 37, and we look at verse 5, we, we'll, read and we'll read about the, uh, you know, the, the straw that broke the camel's back for the brothers, right? Verse 5, it says, Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered round it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed going to reign over us? Are you indeed going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Joseph, they hated him. And they were determined that those dreams were not going to become a reality. So they thought, when we'll just get rid of Joseph, and then we'll never bow down to Joseph. Now, what did I say when we started? God is what? Come on. He's sovereign. Right. God is in control. So as we really unpackage what's in chapter 42 this morning, uh, we're going to see how the story of Joseph continues to unfold, but it's also the perfect portrait of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Joseph's life is a picture of Jesus, and it points straight to Jesus. Verse 1, when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he says to his sons, why do you look at one another? You know, there's grain in Egypt, we're dying, we're starving, and they have this perplexed look on their face. Why do you look at one another like that every time Egypt comes up? Can you imagine? Like, okay, I heard this last night, so I'll put it in. It's hard enough for two people to keep a secret, right? Wouldn't you agree? Teenagers, it's hard to keep a secret. Imagine 10 of you trying to keep one secret and not let anybody else know. For 22 years, they've been keeping this secret, right? Every time the word Egypt was mentioned, don't you know the cringe across their face or the subtle looks towards each other? Every time Jacob would bring up Joseph, man, don't you know that just pierced them. It was a constant reminder of what they had done and how they had wronged their brother. Their dad looks at his sons and he says, you must go to Egypt to buy grain. It's the only way we're going to survive. 
but they don't want to go because that's getting way too close to that betrayal. That's getting really close to what they did to Joseph. Now we're actually going to go to Egypt. They were carrying tremendous guilt. They were carrying shame. 22 years. See, some of us are carrying something today. Some of you carried it in. Some of you have been carrying it for a while. It's not hard carrying stuff like that. That weighs you down. Can you imagine what it was like? Here they go, off to Egypt. You have further confirmation that that Israel, Jacob, was still mourning Joseph because he refused to let Benjamin go. Benjamin is not going with you guys, okay? There's no way I'm going to risk losing Benjamin after I've already lost Joseph. After all, those are Rachel's boys. That's my beloved Rachel. Those are his two boys or her two boys. So it says, thus the sons of Israel came to buy among others who came. For the famine was in the land of Canaan. Verse 6, now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold all the, to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. So I'm sure, so as I've studied what, I, what I've, I think this, the best of what I could determine, this is probably in about year two of the famine. So the seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine, we're probably in about year two of the famine. And don't you know that as delegation after delegation is coming to Joseph, constant flow of people coming to buy grain, don't you think in the back of his mind he had to be watching? He had to be looking for them. Because he knew eventually they were going to show up. I believe he just in the back of his mind knew they were going to be there. He sees them, it says it twice, that he recognizes them. But in reality, there's no way they would recognize him. I mean, they had sold him as a slave. There's no way they would have dreamed that he would be in a position that he was in. He's speaking Egyptian. He's dressed like an Egyptian. So they don't realize who it is. It says he speaks roughly to them. He asks them questions. And in reality, he's testing them. And he's going to test them all the way through this. Verse 9, it says, And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land, which is the vulnerability of the land. So they, they, he, he was accusing them of trying to find ways to attack the land. And they said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, 
and one is no more. Now, Joseph could have revealed himself to them, right? He could have told them right there who he was. But it's obvious through, through looking at this and reading this that God, God is guiding Joseph through this. He's guiding, this, guiding him through dealing with his brothers. He's reminded of that dream over 20 years ago. So he tries to get as much information as he can out of them about his family. There's 10 of them in front of him, but he knows that Benjamin isn't there. Benjamin is at home with their father. Joseph says to them in verse 14, he says, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested. Whether there is truth in you or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. He accuses them for a third time. Puts them in prison for three days. But he wants to see Benjamin. I mean, after all, Benjamin was his only full brother, right? And he's the only one of them that didn't betray him. That's, that's like the brother he wants to see. So like his relationship with his father, Jacob, you have to assume Joseph's relationship with Benjamin was especially close. On the third day, in verse 18, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. So now it's been three days. They've spent three days in that same Egyptian prison that Joseph had been in. They come out, and he, he gives them a new command, and he says, demand. He says, do this, and you shall live, for I fear God. That right there should have been an inkling to them that Joseph was different. Because after all, he's, he's in Egypt. But he gives God the glory. He gives a testimony to God right there to him. Instead of one brother leaving and, leave, and, and the rest staying in prison, he, he reverses and he says, now one is going to stay and the other ten are going to go. The one that's that stays will, will be here and his release is going to be dependent on you returning with your brother Benjamin. Verse 21, then, he, then they said to one another, in truth we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress in his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us and Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and he wept. 
And he returned to them and spoke to them and took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. So here they are speaking to themselves in Hebrew in distress. You, you, it, it just, you can feel it. And Joseph understands every word. Their guilty conscience has told them that all this complicated mess and all this trial that they're going through is a direct result of how they treated Joseph. That's actually a good sign. You see, the, the way in which they associate their sin against Joseph with now how they're being uh, treated and how they're, the, the complications that have come upon them, it meant that they actually realized that they had sinned and they remembered that sin. So if you're sitting here or you're, you're walking with Christ and you get a guilty conscience, that's actually a good thing. That means that you realize you need to repent. That means that you understand the value of repenting, asking forgiveness. They feel what's happening to them is vengeance of God upon the way they treated Joseph. And so Joseph is listening and he's moved to the point of weeping. He has to leave. He can't. He can't. He's got to leave. He's... he's He's moved to tears. Everything they put him through. You think he forgot? Anybody ever wronged you? You just forgot about it? Don't ever think about it when you see him? Everything they put him, they threw him in a pit. He begged them, pleaded with them, sold him as a slave. He serves in prison. He gets lied about everything that he went through. But here he is moved to tears at hearing them sorrowful over what they did to him. Here's the crazy thing. He forgave them right there. They hadn't even asked for his forgiveness yet, but he forgave them. We have a saying at work. One of my coworkers, when he gets done with somebody, he puts his I'm done pants on and he's done. Y'all know anybody like that? Anybody ever wronged you and you just wrote them off? I'm done. If anybody had a right to be done, it was Joseph. And here he is weeping. He's weeping. He forgave them. He forgave them right there. If that's not a picture of Christ, I don't know what is. After stepping aside to weep, he returns and he takes Simeon, he binds him up, and the rest get ready to go back to Canaan. It says, Joseph gave the orders, fill their bags with grain to replace their money in their sack and give them extra as they go back. And I was thinking about, excuse me, thinking about this this morning. So he originally said, I'm going to send one back. But then over that three days, it changed. So what was going on in the land? Come on. Famine. They were starving. 
There were 12 sons, a daughter, Jacob. Do you think one person could have carried a donkey with enough food to provide for all those families? Probably not. So in that three days, God God works on Joseph and he reverses. He says, no, I'm going to send nine of you back and I'm going to load you down. See, Joseph was providing for him. He was giving them extra. He was going to make sure that the family, the whole family, was going to eat. Joseph gave them what they needed to get by and beyond. He did it before they ever reconciled to him. They don't know it's Joseph. They haven't asked for forgiveness. He loved them and cared for them anyway. It's the same way that Jesus loves and cares for us. The same way. There's extra in our sack. Jesus gives to us and we don't even know it. Joseph provided for them. He made sure they had enough to get back. As they're traveling along, it says one of them opened their sack to give his donkey some food, and he notices the money that's put, been put back in there. And he says to, to, to his brothers, the money's been put back in my sack, and they, they fall apart. They're like, they're trembling. What is this that God has done to us? They're afraid. They're trembling they don't know what to do with the money. It's, it's just another test, right? It's also to show the love that Joseph had for them. Their consciences were under such great bondage that they regarded something good as a punishment. See, a guilty conscience doesn't know how to handle things. You, until we're reconciled with Jesus... We usually don't know what to do with things, with God's gifts. We don't know how to handle them. So here they go. They complete their journey. They get back home, and they they show up, and they're like, Dad, we're back. They start telling him about everything that went on, about this ruler in Egypt, about leaving Simeon behind in prison, and they got to now take Benjamin back. Oh, and by the way, We're loaded down with grain. We've got plenty of food. But then they realize that all of their money had been returned. Joseph had given them the bread of life and refused payment. You see, their money was no good. We can't buy the bread of life. See, Jesus already paid that price for us. He already paid it. The gift of eternal life, the gift of salvation is free. We give out of what we have been given. We don't give to get. If that's the way you think, you're wrong. You give because God has given you so much and you're just giving a portion back to him. We look at verse 36, and 
Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. So he's distraught, right? Now two of his sons are gone, and they want to take Benjamin, the only son he has left with Rachel. It's all come against me, is what he says. All this has come against me. Through all of this, it's as though Jacob has forgotten that he was God's chosen. How many times do we forget? Woe is me. We get hung up on the little thing that's going wrong. We get hung up on something that doesn't even matter. We completely forget everything God has done for us. We try to handle it ourselves. You know, instead of saying God is against me, we need to go to Romans 8, 28. And we know that, those, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Say all things. All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. I put this up last time. It says, it's from John Piper. It says, God takes the very sins of the destroyers and makes them the means of the destroyer's deliverance. Those brothers were set out to destroy Joseph. And through all of those circumstances, they sold him to Egypt. He was sold as a slave. He went into Potiphar's house. He was lied about. He was thrown into prison. He met the cupbearer and the baker. He interpreted two dreams. The baker remembers, excuse me, the cupbearer remembers. The baker did not remember. The cupbearer remembers and he tells Pharaoh and then he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And here we are 22 years later and he is providing the deliverance for his brothers. That which they meant to try to destroy him saved their life. See, they, they tried to destroy Jesus on that cross. But it was really just the means of salvation for the whole world. As we close out, we see Jacob, and he's refusing to let Benjamin out of his sight. He's struggling to have faith. And he's older, right? But guess what? He's still limping. Because he walked with that limp for the rest of his life, right? That limp, that reminder that he had wrestled with God. But oh, how he had forgotten. He's still wrestling with God. Aren't we all like that at times? We wrestle with God. There's some of us here that are wrestling with God this morning. We're carrying things with us. Guilt. We need to be forgiven. We need to ask forgiveness. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you right now. Whatever it is. You were wronged. You wronged somebody. Dealt with addiction dealt with sin, you've dealt with untimely death, you've dealt with 
you name it. Divorce. He already knew. He has got you in his hands the whole time. Is there someone you need to forgive? There's someone you need to ask forgiveness from? How's your conscience this morning? Let's bow our heads.